Would you turn with your Bibles once again to Matthew chapter 11? We started that some time ago and we were interrupted by the Christmas season. But I want to return to that chapter with you this morning. Chapter 11 of Matthew. I want to read the first 20 verses. Matthew chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. And our text for this morning is framed in the words of verse 12. Verse 12, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word again this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Salem with me this morning. As you watch your newscasts on television sets, what do you see? Day after day, what do you see? Ukraine, Russia, Israel, Gaza, Palestine, Yemen, Syria, Afghanistan, ISIS, Hamas, Hezbollah, nations at war. You see the destruction of cities, towns, and villages. Homes are destroyed. Businesses and infrastructure laid waste. People left without food, without water, or shelter, or medical care. 
Closer to home, we see riots in, in the streets and anarchy. In fact, that malady, too, that malady too is worldwide. We see protests in the streets. You cannot escape the fact that our world is seething with hatred and anger. Our world is filled with depravity, murder, rape, theft, violence, anarchy, wars, political corruptions at the highest level. And you've got to wonder why. What is it exactly that has gone wrong? What is the matter with the human race that it has made such a mess of its own home? Why is it that man is so cruel to his fellow man? Why can he not live with his fellow man in peace and harmony? Why is this world so full of anger? Why is the world so full of anger that, 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 that causes eruptions of strife and wars and tension and bloodshed and crime and violence and brokenness? Even animals will not mess their own nest, and yet man does and continues to make a horrible mess of his world. Why is that now? The serious thinker wrestles with similar questions. Well, it may be a difficult and a perplexing question, but we can answer it. But only scripturally. Since God alone is the source of all true knowledge, it is again only the scriptures which can give us light to the uh, our answer in these perplexing questions. The answers are there for us. The Bible is a book about life. It is a book about the world in which we live, and it has clear and convincing answers to these questions with which we struggle. And, and when we then <laughs> search the scriptures... <coughs> we find that the origin of the horrible condition in the world is sin. But the Bible doesn't simply stop at diagnosing it, nor may we stop reading once we've discovered the answer to the problem. The Bible goes beyond simple analysis. The Bible does indeed analyze the problem. It dissects it, it diagnoses it, and then the glory of the Bible, as opposed to any other book, is that it goes on to give us the remedy to all of life's perplexing questions and problems. Walk with me. The first four books of the Bible, or I'm sorry, of the New Testament, are called the Gospels. Gospel, of course, means the good news. And the great good news of the New Testament is that God has done something. And if men and women will believe and accept what he has done, then men and women can be more than conquerors, even in this troublesome world. In believing this good news, in believing what God has done, not only will men and women experience peace within their own hearts, but as more and more people believe the gospel message, as the kingdom advances more and more through the, through the preaching of the gospel, then according to the Bible, the world would change and become a better place in which to live. And this great good news of the New Testament is, of course, that the Son of God has come on the earth in the flesh to do something that has the answer for all of our distress among humanity. He offers deliverance from the oppression and anxieties of the world. Jesus comes into this sin-soaked world, and he sets before men's eyes an offer of salvation. He offers a life of peace and joy and hope, and he holds before our eyes a cross as a symbol of hope and glory. That's the message of the New Testament. That's the great good news of the wonderful offer of the gospel. But then that begs another question. If that is true, 
if it's really that simple, if, as we say, that the world will become a better place through belief in the gospel, why then does not the whole world to a man stand up and say, we're wrong, let us turn to God, let us embrace this gospel message, let us put it into practice and let us live at peace with one another. And it is now the answer to that question that confronts us here in this portion of scripture that I've chosen as our text for this morning. We know from our Bibles that while Christ was on this earth, people already had difficulty with believing his message. Although Jesus came into the world to preach and to die, and although the gospel has been preached throughout the world ever since by the power of the Holy Spirit, the plain truth of the matter is that the vast majority of men and women pay no attention to that message. As a matter of fact, by and large, men and women continue to reject the Christ and his wonderful gospel of salvation. But we know also from the Bible and we know from our own life's experiences that there are also people who have believed the gospel, who have entered the kingdom, and who have verified the claims of the gospel, and who have experienced that blessedness of which the New Testament speaks. And so once again this morning we want to hear of those two distinctively different races which have given us two distinctively different histories in the world. We find in our Bible a history of the secular world, and we, and we see recorded also the history of the sacred or the Christian world. <clears throat> in other words, we will see once more the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. We will see again a history of Adam's children and the history of God's children. Two different kinds of people then make up all of history. There are only those two kingdoms and only those two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are subject to the world and are defeated by it and there are those who went on to be more than conquerors in this world. And in this blessed class, those who are more than conquerors, in this blessed class of men and women among those who in spite of many trials and adversities in their lives, they clung by faith to the Son of God and then there remained throughout all of their lives within their hearts a constant and abiding happiness. These people had peace. They had joy. They had a certain exhilaration, if you will, which you will find nowhere else outside of Christianity. That's a basic fact and that is now what we read about in our text of this morning. And so I want to consider with you this morning the profound statement of our Lord. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I administer God's word to you using as my theme the violence of the gospel. We want to see those two different classes of people. We will see in our text, first of all, those who do violence to the kingdom and then we want to see those who violently storm the kingdom, the violence of the gospel, those who do violence to the kingdom, and those who violently storm the kingdom. Setting the stage for a moment in its context, you will remember from an earlier sermon in this series that the chapter opened up with John the Baptist sending two of his disciples to ask of the Christ, are you the one whom we sought, or must we wait and look for another? And our Lord sends back his reply. 
confirming himself as the Messiah. And then he adds the word, blessed are those who take no offense at me. And at the time of our text of this morning, the messengers had gone back to John. They had left the scene. And now in our text, we see Jesus turning to the crowd, to the people. And he begins to talk to the crowd about John. <coughs> Listen with me as he begins to interrogate them, if you will. <coughs> what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A man clothed in soft garments? No, people dressed like that sit in king's palaces. <coughs> but John roamed the wilderness, and even now he's enchained in prison, and he is there because he had dared to denounce the licentiousness of the king. No, he was not popular, not in that sense of the word. Our Lord goes on, No, you were confronted there in the wilderness by a prophet of God. He was, the herald of the, he was the herald of the coming of the kingdom who has gone on before me to preach the gospel. It was prophesied of him, Behold, I send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. John was my messenger. He preached, he worked on my behalf in my name. And yet although that amazing prophet spoke as he did in the name of the Lord and in the power of the Holy Spirit, and although the prophecy has been fulfilled in my coming into the world, and although I have followed him doing those amazing miracles, yet, says Jesus, yet, says Jesus to the crowd, yet... Most of you treated him and me with a complacent indifference. You're completely unconcerned about the good news preached to you. You shrugged your shoulders at the command to repent and believe. The urgent warning that the kingdom is at hand disturbed you not at all. You simply shrugged your shoulders and retorted, so what? You continue to live as you had before. Nothing changes in you or for you or to you. You are as you were before. Before John and I came to you with this message of salvation, it left you unaffected. And now in that context, we hear the words of Christ. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered much violence. Understand well with me what our Lord is saying here. In other words, says Jesus to the crowd, you have had in your midst the greatest prophet who ever lived. You've heard the greatest story ever told, and you treated it all with indifference. It didn't affect you. Your hearts remain cold. Your lives are still sterile and impotent, and the world continues to deteriorate. Keeping this in mind and then remembering the introduction of this morning of those two different kinds of histories, then what Jesus was there pointing out was that this indifference, this complacency, this lukewarmness or indifference to the, to the, to the, to the preacher, preaching, that has always been among us. That men and women throughout history reject the promise is not a new phenomenon. And the cause of this rejection is also not new. We need to understand this well. We are too often, all too often, people of God, we are under the impression that if only we can tell the good news, if only we can tell people what Christ has done, if only we will work harder at evangelism, if only we will be more aggressive in our efforts to win others for Christ, then the masses will flock to us. If only we can tell the old, old story, people will eagerly embrace it. But that's not happening. People are being lost. And we're told it's because 
we have not sufficiently or aggressively or effectively told the story. How often has it not been said that the mess in this world is because of the failure of the church to evangelize? We need to walk carefully here. I do not want to suggest that the church may take lightly the command to go into all the world to make disciples of all the nations, but that statement does not mean that all nations will become disciples if only we will but obey the command to evangelize. No, a correct understanding of the text here indicates that converts will be made, disciples will be found, God's elect must and will be found among all the nations, and therefore the task of the church is to preach the gospel to all nations, since that is the God-ordained means to call men and women out of darkness. But, 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 we may not be under the false impression or the false illusion that if we but will evangelize, that all people will hasten to answer the call. Throughout all of biblical history, we learn that the very opposite is true. In fact, it is that truth, it is to that truth that Jesus calls our attention here this morning. My dear people of God, there are <coughs> endless <coughs> examples of this throughout the Old and the New Testament. Think with me. God called a man named Noah and told him to preach to the people. God lays upon his heart to cry out to the world, Flee from the wrath of God, which is sure to come. You will remember that the sin of man had risen up as a, as a stench in the nostrils of our Lord, and God tells Noah to build an ark. And that project in and of itself was already a tremendous witness and a daily testimony to those who saw it, calling to repent for the kingdom was at hand. For 120 years he preached and urged his fellow men to be reconciled to God. Every hammer blow was a warning as he urgently pleaded with his countrymen, warning them of God's impending judgment. He pleads with them to save themselves from the wrath of God that was sure to come. And finally, the ark was ready. The time for witnessing was over. The day of grace was finished. The door of the ark was shut. And the evangelizing stopped. The results of the evangelizing of Noah, eight people responded. The rest were drowned for all eternity. In their apathy and in their complacent indifference, as an evangelist, from a human perspective, we would have to say, Noah failed miserably. Remember with me also the story of Lot, as he reasoned with the citizens of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. He pleaded with them, saying, God cannot allow this to go on. Terrible judgment must come upon you unless you repent and amend your ways. But they ignored him. They dismissed his warning, and even our children know the horrible consequences of sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. Then God sends his prophets to Israel with the same message. Repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Return to God if you persist in your unbelief. God will judge you. Your enemies will overtake you. You will go into captivity in a foreign land. Your holy city will be destroyed. Your beautiful temple will be reduced to ruins and ashes. And you yourselves go into captivity and bondage. God sends these messengers to plead with men and women to embrace the good news and they treat it all with 
indifference. The children of Israel allowed their sinful apathy to stand in the way of an obedient response. You know the story. Into Babylonian captivity they went. Their own happiness was ruined because of the sin of their apathy and their indifference. And now we understand in this context that it was the same attitude or mindset which Jesus finds in the culture of John the Baptist. Christ rebukes the crowds. Listen to him there. There was John the Baptist. He came to you as the greatest prophet ever lived. He told the greatest story ever told. He was an amazing man of God in the wilderness wearing a camel hair shirt, eating locusts and wild honey. But he preached the Christ. He preached the coming of the Messiah. But but you treated the, the good news with indifference. Also there in Palestine, only a handful entered the kingdom. The rest rejected the gospel message. Life remained the same, and the world as it was before the flood continued to deteriorate because of the sin of unbelief, and the world continued to decline, racing headlong into its own destruction. My dear precious people of God, the world has not changed since the beginning of time. The hearts of sinful men and women continue to reject God and his Christ. The coming of the kingdom still leaves the vast majority of men and women cold and unaffected. And, and, and here we are some over, over 2,000 years later. And the world rushes on, unchanged at an alarming rate, into its own destruction. Modern man has shut his heart, his mind, and his ears to the message of the gospel. Man deliberately avoids thoughts of death and life beyond the grave. He's convinced himself that Christ is not the answer. Ironically, in our current culture, in our current culture, Christ is seen as a hindrance to peace. No, no, not Christ, we're told. Not Christianity. No, no, better education, better housing, equal rights, justice for the oppressed, social programs. That's the answer. That's how we will pull ourselves out of the mess of this world. But, but, but it was already so there in Palestine during the days of John the Baptist. Our text tells us from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom suffers violence from the greatest part of humanity. The world lives on. It hears the gospel and dismisses it as foolishness. The world treats it with apathy and indifference. Now even with, in our culture, even with hostility. And the only tangible result is that our world becomes ever more secular, ever more violent, ever more depraved. And it foolishly rushes headlong, not into the kingdom, but to eternal destruction from the days of John the Baptist until now. The kingdom suffers violence. But there's more to our text. From the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom suffers violence, yes. But the violent take it by force. A profound statement here by our Lord. A statement that we need to stop and consider for a moment. Jesus indicates that John's work had not been in vain. John had led the way. He had, pointed, he had pointed the masses away from himself to Jesus. And the crowds had followed Jesus. 
Understand here with me, Jesus' drawing power was not dependent upon the work of John, but in the providence of God and fulfilling John's own prophecy, his preaching had contributed in paving the way for the coming of the Christ. And Jesus here acknowledges the work of the Baptist, but in the same way, God does not need me. God does not need you. God does not even need this congregation to accomplish his determined end. But he has determined to use us, to use me, to use you, to use this congregation, to bring men and women to a saving knowledge of Christ and thus advance the kingdom. The kingdom, says Jesus, the kingdom has been pressing forward. It has been advancing forcefully. The opposition to the work of Satan is indeed advancing, as was already evidenced by the miraculous. The opposition to the work of Satan has been advancing, as evidenced by the miraculous working and the preaching of Christ. You remember, sick were being healed, lepers cleansed, dead were being raised, and sinners were being converted to everlasting life. But as we've heard, many, many, very many were refusing and resisting and doing violence to that gospel invitation. But, 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 violent men and women are taking the kingdom by force, he says. In other words, Christ is teaching that vigorous, forceful men and women, people who were not afraid to stand and be counted, men and women who were not afraid to break with their Jewish or even pagan customs and traditions, men and women who were not afraid to return to the word of God, no matter what the cost, such people were eagerly taking possession of the kingdom. In their hearts and in their lives, the kingdom of Jesus Christ was being established. Violent men are taking the kingdom by force. My dear people of God, we need to understand this well. What Jesus was here emphasizing is that men and women cannot sleep their way into the kingdom. On the contrary, entrance into the kingdom of God requires work, hard work. It requires earnest effort. It demands untiring energy and exertion. It requires much more than simple church membership or even church attendance. We may not underestimate the power of the prince of darkness. Satan is a mighty, tireless, unrelenting warrior and armed and assisted by his host of fallen angels is committed to barring the way into the kingdom for men and women and the most successful tool used by him to lure potential converts into hell is to grant him a spirit of complacency and indifference. Capture this with me well. You see, we see the gospel being preached in churches, in the mission fields, and on television sets, on radio and over internet, and the gospel goes out over the face of this earth. And for the most part, men and women everywhere are seduced by the de deceptions of Satan to turn their backs and to shrug their shoulders in indifference. But, says Jesus, although that has been the case throughout all of recorded history, there are still to be found also men and women who violently take the kingdom by force. And such men and women, they are not left cold and unaffected by the preaching of the gospel. Oh no, that powerful living word of God pierces its way into fertile, receptive soil of hearts, hearts prepared by the Spirit of God. And the power of that word makes these men and women violent, 
violent, oh, not in the sense of becoming raving, mad, and frothing at the mouth, being incapable of sensible actions or reasoning. No, these people become violent in the sense that they become eager to stand. They become eager to fight, eager to conquer, eager to resist the world. They strive vigorously to overcome Satan and his influence. They strive eagerly and earnestly to take possession of the kingdom and the blessings of salvation. People of God, the kingdom is not for sleepers. It's not for weaklings, doubters, procrastinators or compromisers. No, the kingdom is at hand now, today. The call is urgent. Repent and believe now. Seek him while he may yet be found. The end of the day of grace is quickly drawing near. The door of the ark will soon close and then it's too late. Already now, the storm clouds can be seen on the horizon. It will come, it will come upon you as a thief in the night. The kingdom is not won by means of deferred prayers or unfulfilled promises or broken resolutions and hesitant witness or stuttering or embarrassed testimony. No, the kingdom is taken by storm, by violent men and women. God's kingdom is advanced by men and women of strong conviction and by men and women of a strong assurance in the promises of God. That's what Jesus wants us to know in our text of this morning. He tells us the gospel is being preached the world over. The message is that he has come into the world to put men and women right with God. He has died for our sins. He himself has taken upon himself the sin of the world. God offers complete pardon to all who believe in him and who in faith accept him and all his benefits. That message offers newness of life. It brings peace in hearts and peace in the world for all who believe it. That, me that message assures men and women that although an army may encamp around them, although the mountains may tremble and be moved into the sea, though the world may forsake and kill them, nothing can separate them from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ. That's the message of John. That's the message John and I have been preaching, says Jesus to the crowd there in Palestine on that day. But my dear precious people of God gathered with me here in Bowmanville, that same message is being preached from faithful pulpits and certain radio and television programs even today. But according to Christ then, just as now, the majority of men and women reject the gospel message. But praise be to God, there are also some, only some, who believe the message. They saw their danger. They recognized the peril of their own souls and they crowded into the kingdom. They became so eager, they said, I must have that salvation. I need forgiveness of my sin. I need the mercy of Christ. I must have Christ and I won't rest until I know myself sheltered under the safety of his wings. He must gather me and shelter me within the fold. That's, that's the violence of these people. They acknowledge that Christ makes men and women radically different from the world and radically different from what they were. They became violent in their hunger for the blessings of the gospel of salvation. Congregation Jesus talks about the wheat among the tares, but apart from those hypocrites among us, violent people 
can easily be recognized. I'm talking about this kind of violent people. They have certain characteristics in common enabling us to identify them. You will know them in that you can recognize in them that their first priority is a personal living relationship with Jesus Christ and the things of the kingdom. You will know from such people that nothing matters to them outside of the assurance that they belong to Christ. And such violent people are eager, they are eager to accept their marching orders from the Lord. They do not hesitate to stand even alone in the face of ridicule or opposition. When commanded to build an ark, they do not hesitate and say, wait a minute, that makes no sense here in the wilderness. No. They do not suggest we ought to perhaps appoint a study committee for these complex issues. No. They do not say, well, wait a minute, after all, the scriptures were written hundreds of years ago and things are different now. No, no, no. Those who take the kingdom by storm recognize the danger in hesitating to follow the instructions of their Lord. People of God, such men and women, such violent men and women are ready to give wholehearted, uncompromising obedience to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. They are totally committed to Christ and in his service. One of the commentators I consulted while preparing this sermon uses a little illustration in this context. He said, imagine a man, a man by nature very calm, collected, complacent, a man never known to really get excited about anything. Imagine now that this man, imagine him quietly sitting in his home, reading his newspaper, minding his own business, and suddenly someone runs into his house and yells, fire! That man looks up and suddenly finds himself in the midst of a blazing inferno. He knows that if he doesn't get out immediately, he's going to lose his life. And immediately, this complacent man becomes violent. He now recognizes his condition as being perilous and dangerous. He's now a man who has recognized the urgency of his condition, and he is desperate, and he becomes violent <coughs> in his desperate effort to escape death. That now is the kind of violence of which our Lord speaks here in our text. People of God, the world, the world in which we live will one day in judgment be consumed and be destroyed by fire. Isn't it amazing then that although the heat from the encroaching flames can already be felt, the flames can be, are scorching and lapping at the heels of humanity. And just as in the times of Noah, men and women still reject the message the gospel message is spurned and Christ is being rejected. The masses of people living in the world today refuse to see that their world is on fire. They continue to treat the claims of Christ with indifference. They continue to eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we will die. 
But some men and some women have seen the smoke of destruction. They've heard the way of salvation. They fled to the cross and have escaped the flames through the precious blood of Golgotha. They have seen their precarious position. And by God's grace, they have tasted of their redemption in Jesus Christ. They know that the world is not getting better and better. Oh, no. They see the world getting worse and they expect it to be so. They know that in Christ and in him alone is the solution to all of the problems in the world. But they know also that because of a wholesale rejection of the gospel promised by the world, the world will continue to deteriorate until the day of grace is full and God will finally destroy it all in a ball of flame. But they know also that by God's grace and by his mercy, the way has been granted for them to escape the impending flames of judgment. To them has been granted the way of salvation. They know that although the world may perish, they are forever secure in the love of God and Jesus Christ. By the grace of God and in his mercy, they have escaped the flames of judgment of the world and they have been pardoned from the flames of eternal hell and condemnation. Although burning flames are still with them, they are no longer being scorched with flames of impending judgment. No. The flames are now raging within their hearts. They have become violent people because they are on fire for the Lord in their thankfulness and in amazement for what God has done for them. May God make each of us such violent men and women. Grant yourselves no rest until you're intimately familiar with the transforming power of the gospel. Grant yourselves no rest until you have become a violent person storming the kingdom of God. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, once again, we've heard the gospel message and what a glorious message it was for us. Use it, O oh Lord, to convict us that if we but let the Father guide us, relying on his faithfulness, he will be evermore beside us in all our sorrow and distress. He who on God most high depends builds not his house on shifting sand.